0: the the very first thing that you really have to look at is you don't we always say you own nothing control everything right mm-hmm. so you don't want to own the you don't want to own the assets of the business. You want the business to own the assets of the business, and you own the business. So it's that type of thing. You don't want to own the real estate itself. You want to own a company that owns the real estate. So how you do that has such a big impact on your taxes. It's, it's kind of rule number one is how you set up your business. Um, rule number two is um, uh, remember that anything can be deductible. So the question is not, is something deductible? The question is, how do I make it? deductible. Um, We like to say that if you want to change your tax, you have to change your facts.
1: Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. It's said the only certainties in life are death and taxes. And while no one's yet figured out how to live forever, a critical part of the wealth building process is minimizing legally how much you pay in taxes. To do that well, you need a great accountant. Today, we're fortunate to hear from one of the best, Tom Wheelwright, CPA, entrepreneur, best-selling author, rich dad advisor, and international authority on tax. With tax season now upon us, Tom will share some of his top strategies for keeping more of the income you've earned this year. Tom, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Oh, thank you, Adam. It's always a pleasure to be with you.
1: All right. Um, and Tom, I, I botched the intro, so we're re-recording it here, but um, I, I, I'm going to re-sing your praises here. Uh known you for a long time. Our paths have crossed many times. Uh, I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for you as an individual, uh, but, but absolutely for your immense knowledge of uh, the tax code and how to use it intelligently to help people preserve their wealth. So it's a total honor to have you on the program.
0: No, it's always my honor. I just I, I love talking about taxes. Uh, I think taxes should be fun, easy, and understandable. And uh, and if they're not, it's because we haven't you know been listening to the right person or the right people are getting the right education.
1: I totally agree with that, and that's really what I want to talk with you about here. That being said, I want to read something because the government isn't making it easy for it to be uh, short and understandable and fun. Um, Here's what I just pulled off the Internet right before this conversation here. Um, According to the Public Law 117-154, the U.S. tax code is 6,871 pages. When you include the federal tax regulations and the official tax guidance, The number of pages raises to approximately 75,000. This will take an average reader about 14 weeks to finish. So look, that sounds just incredibly insane and overly daunting to the regular person who's out there, but I believe it actually presents an opportunity. And I think this is really kind of your big message here, right? Which is, uh, you know, if you take the time to read it the way in which you have, um, it, it turns out more to be almost kind of like a recipe book for um, incentives, right? Just incentives the government w- w- wants you to follow to be able to basically save on taxes.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's the whole premise my first book, Tax-Free Wealth, is that the, the tax law, so if, um, if you look at the tax law, there's one line that solves all incomes taxable, unless we say it isn't. No, there's another line that says nothing's deductible. No expenses are deductible unless we say they are. And then there's some charts and tables to tell us how much tax tax, t- tax to pay. But the reality is you could put all that in a pamphlet. The reason you got such a long $75,000 of 75,000 pages, 75,000 pages of rules is really to give you a roadmap to legally reducing your taxes and doing it in such a way that you do it the way the government wants you to do it. So, you know, there are are there people who cheat? Yes. Um, is that why the rich don't pay taxes on the whole? No, that's not. Um, instead, the rich really are doing things the government want you to do. And if, if you do things the government wants you to do, um, one way to look at it, uh, Adam, is that we're all partners with the government, like it or not. We're partners with the government. Mm-hmm. We have a choice, though. And the choice is, are we a silent partner or are we an active partner? And those who pay less taxes are active partners with the government. Those who pay more taxes and just, you know, get a salary and go on their way, they are silent partners with the government. It's your choice. And the government, frankly, doesn't care which one you choose uh, because they make money either way and they, they get their social programs enacted either way. Um, but they do have that option. They always make that option available for everybody, rich or poor, to be an active partner with the government.
1: Okay. Um, that's a great way to put it. Um, uh, it's sort of like, look, you know, this, this uh, person's going to be a member of your family, whether you like it or not. So you can <laughs> figure out whether you just want to have a passive aggressive relationship with them, or you actually want to you know, try to jujitsu it to your advantage. Um, all right. Well, so this is why I think having a good accountant is, uh, is such a powerful member to have on your team, because they're basically telling you what the winning rules of the game are.
0: Yeah, th- there's no question. So um, you can't do it without the accountant because you don't want to read 75,000 pages. You want your accountant to read the 75,000 pages. On the other hand, the accountant can't do it without you either. And I think that's a mistake a lot of people make, Adam, is that they go, well, my accountant does that. Well, no, they don't. Um, this is a partnership with your team. This is a team, right? You said it. This is a team. So your accountant is a member of your team, but they are not somebody you turn things over to and forget about. If you do, you're gonna pay more tax.
1: All right, so um, obviously finding a really good accountant is a big part of it. um, And we'll talk about that near the end of this video. Mm -hmm. But but being in partnership with your accountant is really key. Meaning like um, you just can't be sort of tossing things over the wall or dumping a bunch of documents on your accountant's desk once a year and walking away. This is something where you really wanna be in dialogue with them to say, uh, here are my goals, and hopefully help me hit them. But but more importantly, you know, what could I be doing differently to take advantage of the tax code in a way that makes sense for my personal situation and for my goals? Right. I see you sort of nodding as I'm saying this.
0: Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there's a term in in my industry, the tax advising industry, called year end planning, which is a terrible term. You can't plan at your end. You gotta, your, your planning should be done in January. Right, not, right. Not in December. It should December, be your beginning planning, yeah. <laughs> it's too late. I mean, you can do little things but it's really too late in December. So you really need to do it in January, not in December. And so what you do is, you, you know, the, the ideal relationship with your accountant is in January, yes, you're starting to get your information together for your tax returns. That's the end of last year's planning. But at the same time, you're looking at what are we going to do this year? What are we going to invest in? How are we going to build our wealth? How are we going to do things in such a way that by this time, the next year, we look at our tax and we go, oh, they've gone down, not up, even though our cash flow went up.
1: Great. Okay. So um, that last sentence was perfect for the segue I want to make here. Um, so, uh, for, first off, Tom, I should just mention um, you are the author of, of many books, and we see a bunch of them on the table there behind you. Um, I have a copy here I've had for many years of your best-selling book, uh, "Tax Free Wealth." This is sort of a bible for I, I think any individual that is looking to get smart on on strategies to start talking to, with your accountant about. Um, and in here, you talk a lot about understanding the difference between taxable income and cash flow um can you just help the audience understand that a little bit better yeah so they're not equal
0: so perfect example we have Donald Trump's tax returns to look at whether we like it or not we do and um I've gone wow this is an unique opportunity to look at somebody who's clearly done extremely well in business. And look at what what does the tax return look like? Well, the tax return shows huge losses, okay? But there is no way Donald Trump could be jetting around the world and doing what he does if he has no cash flow. So the tax return reports, this is what we learned from Donald Trump's tax returns, that he paid no tax. We don't learn what his cash flow is because the tax returns don't tell us anything about his cash flow. All they tell us is what he had to the the way it was reported to the government cuz the government has different rules for reporting your income than the accounting rules. And so that's that that's a perfect example cash flow and taxable income are very very different.
1: Okay. And and I'm going to use an example, you tell me if there's a better one that's out there. Um but to help understand the difference between what's taxable versus the actual cash flow that you receive. So, um uh, you know, I might I might buy a car, right? And through my business, and uh, that allows me to deduct uh, an ex- type of expense called depreciation uh, on that car. And from a from an, a tax standpoint, um, you know, basically, I drive the car for a year, and 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 the tax code says you're allowed to depreciate a certain amount of that value of, the, of that car every year. So, any given year, I take some percentage of that car and I report it as an expense, right? Because the car depreciated in theory by that percentage value. Um, so it looks like, you know, money was going out the door as an expense. It's reducing my taxable income, but I didn't, I didn't spend any money. That, that depreciation by itself didn't take dollars out of my bank account. Sure, the gas I paid for the car did, or any repairs I did, but the depreciation itself really wasn't it's it's more sort of a, a phantom loss if you will uh, on the balance sheet um so that's just one way in which um my you know my, my cash flow from the depreciation was zero i didn't have any cash going out the door but i might have reported several thousand dollars in depreciation for my incomes tax statement because of what the tax code allows me to do yeah. That, yeah. that's yeah. just a sort of one way in which i think of it no
0: you're, you're absolutely right and what's better is is while a car may be going down in value And so you're going okay depreciation is recovering the cost of that car going down in value think about real estate you get depreciation on real estate and it can be going up in value so the fact that it's going down it doesn't have to be going down in value in order to get that deduction It you simply have to be using it it can still be going up in value for example let's take again let's go to the car but let's say you bought a vintage ferrari and when, you know, you've got that car, it may be going up in value. Um, but at the same time, if you're using it in your business, you've got a business purpose for using it, you could be getting a deduction. So, uh, again, it's an asset that might be producing cash flow, but at the same time, you're getting a tax deduction for it.
1: Okay, great. Um, and I know that we'll want to talk about real estate and a few other types of tax-advantaged mm-hmm. assets in a little bit because they're, they're great ways to basically use what you just described as a way to shield yourself from taxes for the government while creating cash flow for yourself. Um, Before we do, though, um, just at a high level, sort of as we kick things off here, how do you go about using your expertise um, to help clients uh save wealth through you know Mm -hmm. tax planning um is there is there a framework you use or a process you use is sort of there a starting point when you're starting with a new client from from time there
0: is there is actually it's a very um you know if if you look at so you've been in the wealth business for a long time adam Mm -hmm. and you look at how people build wealth. there's there's a formula to it i mean it's it's a pretty simple you do this then you you do this you do this you do this Um, you know, you don't have to say, well, you have to be as smart as Warren Buffett to do it. No, you just have to follow the rules and follow the system, and you're gonna you're gonna produce that income, you're gonna produce that wealth. The same is true on the tax side. If you look at the at the tax law, there is a there are patterns in the tax law, just like there are weather patterns, right? The reason we can predict a hurricane is because of the weather patterns Mm -hmm. and the history. And so we know, okay, well, this is likely to hit at this point, here's where it's gonna go. Yeah, we might be off by a few hundred miles, but we're gonna be close, right? Um, The same is true with the tax law. We can predict what will happen when we invest a certain way, we can predict what will happen. And so what we do with our clients, and I I know we're fairly unusual in this, um, but we actually start with the tax planning and then follow with the tax compliance. So compliance is not something that's real valuable to most people. It's something that you have to do. Um, but tax planning, we can reduce your taxes. Well, that's that that gets pretty exciting. So we start with the planning. Um, in fact, uh we we actually require it. We won't even take on a client unless we start with the planning.
1: OK, and just to make sure people understand the difference between planning and compliance is compliance more like the actual filing of the returns, That's the filing of
0: like the tax returns. That's putting the, that's putting the information in the tax software, getting out the door. That's what you do with TurboTax or, um, you know, H&R Block. That's what they're doing. You know, accountants do the same thing because it's more complicated. So you, you can't do it yourself. Um, but that's something that's just required. Uh, What what's really where the benefit is, is coming up with a plan of action? What we would call a strategy, but a plan of action for, okay, based on how you're going to build your wealth, what's the best way to reduce your taxes? So if you're going to build your wealth in your business, how do we do your taxes in your business? If you're going to build your wealth in the stock market, how do we reduce your taxes from the stock market? If you're going to build your wealth in real estate, how do we reduce your taxes using real estate. So it doesn't really matter which one you do. What matters is that your accountant understands which one you're going to do, because we can't do the, we can't help with the taxes until we know what you're going to do with the money.
1: Got it. And presumably for your clients that have more assets, they may be using strategies in every one of those buckets you just mentioned, correct?
0: Uh, They may um it, the, the the very wealthy people are are trying to diversify but the people who are starting out or the people who are just building wealth tend to be very um more specific and directed yeah, yeah. and, and they're very uh, income, you know
1: income dependent and
0: they're uh, you know yeah. it's, it's the old the niche will make you rich right nobody got yeah. rich out of uh, from diversifying um but not to say that there isn't a place for diversification it's just that um, you know, when you're when you're originally building your wealth, typically you're doing it in one asset class.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, I, I, I've got a lot of really fun questions for you, kind of around this stuff that we'll we'll make our way to. Um, I guess sort of next question here. So you've got your framework, uh, and look, I understand this is just like you know we have the, our financial advisors on every week, um, and they have to give kind of broad brushstroke answers because. The honest, the answer that's right for the individual completely dependent upon the individual's unique, you know, circumstances, right? Um, but you see a lot of people at, at your firm, at Tom. You you, net, you work with a massive network of CPAs across the country. In fact, across the world as well. Um, you talk to people at, at conferences all the time. Um, what are some of the? Um, or, or, or I guess when you're starting off, like, like where, where do you typically find the biggest bang for the buck? when you help somebody go from however many taxes they're paying today to hopefully paying less in the future? Uh,
0: That's easy. The biggest bang for your buck is always gonna be a business, okay? And it doesn't matter what country you're in. The biggest bang for your buck is gonna be business. So uh, uh, my new book, The Win-Win Wealth Strategy talks about those different uh, areas of investing and and how those different areas reduce your taxes. But business is the big one. And then when you're talking about business, you're talking about, okay, how do I own my assets? Uh, We refer to that as what entities do you use, like a corporation, a partnership, a limited liability company, whatever you're going to use. But that's actually the number one thing people can do is figure out the best way to own their assets. Um, And that's one of the very first things we do with a tax, with a client is look at how do they own their assets now? Is there a better tax way to own their assets um, like they may be on it personally. I mean, for example, uh, going back to, to Mr. Trump, he has a lot of, um, he actually has a lot of sole proprietorships on his tax return. Not, I'm not a fan. I, I would not do that. So I think he paid some tax that he didn't need to pay. Oh, interesting. And I actually think he overpaid tax. So um, with a little bit of planning, I think we had to reduce his taxes by uh, uh, several hundred thousand to several million um but the you,
1: you might find you get a call coming out of this video <laughs> from someone in this I, organization. I, I, I
0: doubt that, but I, <laughs> I would be happy to I'd be happy to take that call. Um my my point is that the, the very first thing that you really have to look at is you don't we always say you own nothing, control everything, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't want to own the you don't want to own the assets of the business. You want the business to own the assets of the business, and you own the business. So it's that type of thing. You don't want to own the real estate itself. You want to own a company that owns the real estate. So how you do that has such a big impact on your taxes. It's, it's kind of rule number one is how you set up your business. Um, rule number two is um, uh, remember that anything can be deductible. So the question is not, is something deductible? The question is, how do I make it? deductible um we like to say that if you want to change your tax you have to change your facts and it's okay. uh it's pretty simple actually so I can, I can make you know I've got this beautiful wealthability mic here and I could make it deduct I now this is deductible but I you know I could you could buy one and I could make it deductible for you you, know, you just have to know what what do I have to do how do I have to use that in what way do I have to use it document et cetera to make it deductible
1: Okay, fascinating. Okay, so first off, I'm I'm assuming um, businesses or incorporating uh, really helps because that's a vehicle by which to have um, you know business deductions, right? Business expenses. Um, and when you said uh, own nothing, control everything, uh, totally makes sense. Um, you know, you want the most tax advantaged entity uh, to to own the assets. I presume there's also in many cases, like liability shielding benefits that come along oh. with that too, right?
0: Yeah, in fact, I, so we actually look at, there's really four aspects of the planning that we're doing. You're very involved in in uh, in the wealth side. You really do need a wealth strategy. You've got to have a tax strategy, but you do need an asset protection strategy because you're building wealth. Um, remember that people are coming after that wealth. right? And so we do want to set things up um, so that they're protected from, lawsuits, etc., cetera. And then of course, most people who are building wealth want to leave a legacy. And so that's the fourth aspect that uh, you really want to look at. So we, when we look at a client, we're actually looking at a very holistic viewpoint and all four of those.
1: Great. So basically sort of um, earn shield uh, from taxes, shield from uh, legal uh, risk. And then lastly, um, how can you leave a legacy or how can you, you know, how can this survive beyond you? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That I love that framework. Um wait, wait, we right. call it,
0: so Adam, we actually call it protecting your assets from pirates, um, predators, and politicians.
1: <laughs> I like it. That's really well said. <laughs> I'm sure you're probably gonna get a standing ovation from the uh most of the viewers here. Um, all right, so uh it sounds like there are you know there, there are opportunities uh to be taken advantage of by i'm going to use the term incorporating like loosely like just becoming a business in in many ways not that you necessarily have to become a certain type of corporation um then we sort of gave nod to this earlier but maybe we dive into it now Th- then there's tax advantaged uh assets in which to put your uh your capital right um maybe you could just do a little bit of a deeper dive into the ones that you most commonly use and maybe give an example or two of of ones just so people can understand how powerful they can be. Uh, We mentioned real estate briefly. I know there are things like oil and gas wells that have good tax treatments. There are opportunity zones out there. don't want to put words in your mouth, but t- tell us, you know, now, kind of how do you I'll make
0: use these things? I'll make it really simple. So it's actually the subtitle to my book, "The Win Win Wealth Strategy: Seven Investments the Government Will Pay You to Make." So oh, I'll, I'll well, walk you go. through them real quick. Let's go through them. So the first one's business. It is always the best investment from a tax standpoint. The second is related to business is technology. So tons of tax benefits from creating using technology. Um, the third one would
1: be real estate. Sorry to interrupt, but can you just give an example of that?
0: Yeah, so for example, you're I had a, I had, a, had a buddy who um, was doing real estate and created a new software to manage the security on his real estate. Well, that soft, that development of that software while it was producing cash flow for his business because he got better security on his apartment buildings. They're tax benefits, their uh, tax credits, there's tax deductions for it. Um, there's a reason that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk paid zero taxes for about 20 years. And that's because it's technology tax benefits.
1: Wow. Okay. Who knew? Um,
0: yeah, right. So um, third one is uh, the, the next one's real estate. And then and it's any type of investment real estate, just not your home you get very few tax benefits for your home. It's when you when you're creating or building or improving real estate for other people that you get the tax benefits.
1: Okay. okay. And when you're doing right. it for
0: yourself, you don't, but when you're doing it for other people,
1: you do. Yeah. And I just want to underscore that because a lot of people think of their home as, oh, well, that's my tax shield because I get my you know mortgage interest deduction. Right. And you're basically saying uh, that's that's penny ante. You, you exactly. if you do it for investing, that's where the big opportunities lie.
0: Well, Yeah, think about this. So you only get to in deduct interest up to a $750,000 mortgage on your own home. But you could have a 20, $20 million mortgage on an apartment building, and you get to deduct all the interest. So <laughs> the government's saying, look, do it for yourself. We'll give you a little tax deduction. Do it for other people. We'll give you a big tax deduction.
1: Great. And presumably, when we talk about the tax code being basically a recipe book of incentives, you know, the government is basically saying, look, we we want people with money to go out there and create shelter for, for sure. other people right yeah so they're 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 trying to legislate and incentivize through tax code here
0: oh for sure if you look at um well of course most this really started with uh John F Kennedy he was actually the first U.S. president to really seriously use tax laws as an as an incentive. And since then, of course, Ronald Reagan made a huge, I mean, you, you look at that turnaround in the economy. A lot of that came from three major tax laws in four years. And those were incentives. He incentivized real estate. He incentivized a lot of different things during those first four years. And, of course, then we ended up with a flat tax. Uh, the fifth, the fifth big, uh, or the, sorry, the fourth big change under Reagan was the 1986 act, which was pretty much flattening out the rates and making huge incentives, um, you know, to just, you know, be in business, earn money, etc. cetera. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, it's, it's, it, there, these are all incentives. This is just doing things that the government wants done. And they're saying, look, if we give you a little bit of incentive, it's cheaper than if we go out and build housing ourselves, and of course nobody in their right mind wants to live in government housing. So, <laughs> exactly, that's that, there, there. There's a benefit to the whole public there of letting entrepreneurs do that work. So, beyond real estate, you've got, excuse me, beyond real estate, you've got energy, and that's both renewables and fossil fuels. Huge tax benefits. And then you've got um, agriculture. Um, just here's a little known fact. Uh, very few farmers or ranchers have ever paid income tax <laughs> the, the tax benefits in agriculture are like bigger than all the others put together i mean really? they're just enormous oh yeah you talk about depreciation oh my heavens they have such huge depreciation deductions um literally it's very rare to see a farmer or a rancher pay income tax and that's just because look the government's saying we need we need food produced. We, need dependable we want to incentivize food. Yeah, exactly. it. We want you to keep replanting. We we know you're taking big risks. Um, and we're going to and we're we're gonna kind of help reduce that risk by you not having to pay the tax uh, a lot of taxes. So that agriculture is actually a big one. There are a couple of that I think uh, would surprise some people. Insurance is one of them, which is a huge tax benefit. And then the other one would be that everybody knows about, last and I think least, is retirement planning. Um, But that is certainly a huge tax benefit. People don't think of it as a tax shelter, but that's exactly what it is. You look at 401Ks, IRAs, pension plans, private sharing plans, those are all tax shelters.
1: Got it, and those are obviously ways to either defer taxes today into a future period where hopefully your income is lower um, and hopefully you're at lower rates then. or potentially not have to pay any taxes in the future. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, So super fascinating. I'm just gonna repeat those for folks that didn't write them all down. It was business, technology, real estate, energy, agriculture, insurance, and retirement planning. Um, Real quick in energy and ag, um, can you just give a quick sense of where the opportunities are? In other words, um, Okay, yeah. If I go build a new pipeline, you know, yeah, I can get a lot of tax deductions. I'm going to guess based off of that. The average person's not going to go build a pipeline. What, um, where, where can they put their money in a way where they can, say, in the energy space where they can get benefit some of some of these tax? Good deductions?
0: question. So, so I'll break it down between fossil fuels and renewable. Um, so, fossil fuels, you can uh, go invest in a oil well, and actually, the average person can do that. Um, I've, uh, there are, there are offerings of where you have to have as little as $10,000 and you can invest in part of an oil well. And if you invest that $10,000, you're initially going to get about an $8,000 deduction the first year and a $2,000 deduction the second year. So you get to deduct your investment. So literally you're investing in something to build your wealth and getting a deduction for investing.
1: Got it. And just to be clear, your 8,000 and 2,000 dollar examples, that was based on a $10,000 input, right? That's
0: a $10,000, right. So you're so basically
1: writing 80% of it off, I think you said in the first the year. The first year. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And by the way, that's that's the one that's energy is the one investment where you don't have to be actively participating in the investment to get all of the deductions. So, energy is one. So, one one part of that is the fossil fuels that we talked about, but the other part would be solar so the new solar tax benefits are so big that literally um, you could put solar panels on the roof of your office building that you own. And you could end up getting the government to pay for two thirds of the cost of the solar panels. So <laughs> actually, if you leverage it, if you actually borrow, you can actually get them paid for more than 100%. So it's um, it's a pretty aggressive incentive because the government obviously is aggressively going after renewables. And uh, they're saying, look, we want you to do renewables. We're going to give you a 30% tax credit, which is dollar for dollar off your taxes. And then we're going to give you an 85% tax deduction on top of that. If you use it on your business, if you use it on your home, you get the credit, not the deduction. This again. So one of the things that I think that is important for people to understand is these tax benefits build on each other. So, you, business is the best, but then you add real estate. Real estate is a business, but you also get the business tax benefits and the real estate tax benefits. Then, if you put your renewable energy on your business, you get so now you've got the business tax benefits, the real estate tax benefits, and the energy tax benefits. So, you're really getting a triple play on your, um, on, on, on your.
1: Your, really what okay. all
0: amounts to business activity
1: so let, let, let me let me let me simplify this with an example um right now you're looking at wealthy on headquarters right which I'm running out of uh, my home office right if I were to instead uh buy a business a building in town mm-hmm. to run this business out of um that would be my 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 First I'd have my business, then I would buy commercial real estate to have that and right. so I'd be taking advantage of two of, of the options and then if I decided to put solar panels on that building, I've now got my triple my my third uh you know opportunity for deductions here yeah.
0: literally as we speak, um solar panels are being installed on the roof of my commercial building office building as okay. we speak right now so uh I you know I don't talk about anything I don't do. <laughs> oh, so I do. I, uh, I'll tell you, I'm in Arizona. Arizona, we have a lot of sunshine. So I, I don't want to be paying utility bills. I'd rather have the solar energy so that I basically I offset my utility bills. So I'm basically getting retail rates for my solar panels because it's money that I would otherwise send to the utility. And instead, I'm, I'm keeping the money because the solar is paying for uh, actually providing the energy.
1: Right. Right. And I, I don't know in your particular case if this happens or not, but if you have surplus energy from those solar panels, are you selling it back to the grid and making an income off of it?
0: Yeah, but it's not very much. So very that's much. actually okay. where where the money is, is in taking care of your own energy needs. That's where you make the money.
1: Got it. OK, good point. All right. And then um, uh, in um, let's go to ag for sort of a similar. So you, you, you what. what it sounds like what you're saying is there's a spectrum of opportunities in each one of these, right? You you could become an entrepreneur in any one of these and and build something really big that that might require raising capital and all that type of stuff, right? You're building a $20 million apartment building, or my example, the energy pipeline, right? But a lot of regular people aren't going to, they've got real jobs, real lives. They're not going to have the capacity or maybe the capital even to do that. So, you know, in the energy space, it's nice because, oh, I can find a private placement for an oil well and I can buy a chunk of that, right? And I'm I'm more or less a passive investor in it, but I'm getting these tax benefits. Is there an equivalent in, in agriculture or do you have to kind of become a farmer to take advantage of?
0: No, I actually have a, a client who just recently invested in a Wagyu cattle ranch. And so they just put a small amount of money. They The the, the rancher was looking for capital to buy the, 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 the heads of beef. And, uh, so the, you know, my client put some money in and, uh, you know, bought and actually invested. So they will get the tax benefit of, uh, of the cattle ranch. So you don't know, you, don't, you can always do it. You can always let somebody else be the operator. Okay. Okay, great. <laughs> you don't have to be the operator. You can let somebody else be the
1: operator. And are these mostly sort of private deals, private placements, or are there opportunities to buy into publicly traded instruments as they, well? They, t- the they tend
0: to be private deals. Um, and so they you, you do tend to need to be an accredited investor on a lot of them. But that doesn't mean that, you know, there aren't friends and family deals out there. Yeah. You know, you you just do a little networking and you're able to put some money in. Um, not a lot of public deals like that. I mean, you know, you have a, like in real estate, you can go and buy into a REIT, right? Uh, regulating um, a real estate yeah. investment trust, um, which is basically a mutual fund of real estate. Not a lot of that in agriculture. Uh, right now, um, but that's not to say somebody couldn't do it. It's, right. uh, I just I'm just not familiar with people who do it. Um, uh, uh, the, the place where I, I actually where you,
1: am on the agriculture side. It's a I will tell you the place you.
0: where you'd most likely find that is in um, vineyards.
1: Okay, yeah, well, and investing in a vineyard. Here. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's super fascinating. So you, you know, you're 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 pointing to the need on your wealth. Team, uh, finding people that are good, um, you know, sources of, of good deals, right? right? So these are people that, that know all the, the syndicators for real estate deals yep. or, or know the good people in the energy space. Um, cause obviously any one given private deal you hear about, you know, in a hallway somewhere, it might sound enticing, but you have no clue whether it's really good or not, if you don't have any exactly. experience in that space. So leveraging those people that have experience looking at the deal flow, super key. Um, all right. And then on insurance, um, just explain to us a little bit about how insurance is used uh to shield taxable income and again if there uh, is 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 that making sure you have the right types of insurance or are there are ways to invest in insurance ventures that give you the deductions
0: um there there's both and and actually insurance it's on the income side and not the deduction side so uh life insurance is the most obvious because life insurance proceeds are not taxable they're 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 completely exempt okay. from income yep. tax. Um so and this is one where literally the average person can do this because they can buy a whole life policy or universal life policy uh the the asset grows it's a you know it's a, it's a conservative investment it grows slowly um but what we you have inside of that policy is you have a cash surrender value and I know you're very familiar with this adam but yeah. that cash surrender value is available for use. And the way it's available for use is the insurance company will uh, lend you money equal to your cash surrender value at any time. And it's actually part of the policy terms. And they'll lend it to you. The It's not like a 401k where you're borrowing the money out of the, uh, of the 401k. This is where you're actually using it as collateral with the insurance company, and the insurance company is lending you the money. Which means that your asset continues to grow inside, but you have that money available to go invest in something else like real estate, stock market, agriculture, wherever you want to go. But the growth in the asset inside the insurance policy is not taxable. And if done right, will never be taxable. It's literally forever uh, tax free.
1: Okay, and this is a topic that that I'm going to have to cover on this program um, with a video in and of itself. This is what people for the different names. One of them, I think, is called Infinite Banking, though, right, Tom?
0: That is a. I understand that as a trademark term. Yes. Okay.
1: (laughs) I think we might even know the person that trademarked it, but um, uh, I mean, it is it is really fascinating, and there are some there are all the elements that Tom talked about, and I I I mostly understand it. but my understanding too Tom is that uh, there are you, you mentioned it's conservative, it's a conservative instrument in terms of sort of how it grows mm-hmm. um, but because it's conservative, there are floors in terms of like there no matter what the market does in a given year, right. it basically guarantees that you will at least get some return. So like it would have been wonderful last year, right when the right. markets were down 20 to 30 percent. And even if your minimum guarantee was only a 2% increase, that's phenomenal versus a negative 20% in the markets, right?
0: Right. That that My whole life policy did not lose money last year. That is correct.
1: Okay. All right. Um, fascinating. Okay, great. I just, again, I'm, I'm asking these digging questions just so people get a general understanding of each. And if there's demand sure. from this audience to do a deep dive in any one of these things, you know, we'll do a whole video just on that alone. Um, all right. Look, well, that was super useful. Um, I'm curious. Again, you see lots of people um you sit down uh you know personally and go through people's situations with them what are what are some of the most common mistakes you see people being guilty of making when you sit down with them
0: uh so one of the one of the biggest mistakes is uh, is not keeping good records um and doing your own bookkeeping okay. <laughs> that's a that's a huge mistake don't do it don't let your aunt uncle nephew niece don't let those people do it either you need a a professional bookkeeper you want to keep good records the rule for for example for for a business deduction there are only four tests you have to meet but there's one test that trumps all the others and that is you have to have good documentation and if you don't have good documentation it doesn't matter if you meet all the other tests it's not deductible uh we we always say adam that if you pretend To document your deduction, you get a pretend deduction. (laughs) Okay, good way to put it. It's you. You really do have to. That's the first thing an IRS agent looks at. So when we get these eighty-seven thousand new IRS auditors, uh, first thing they're going to look at, they're going to go through their checklist, and the first thing is show me your receipts. That's going to be number one. And so I I think that's the biggest. uh, That's the biggest mistake people make. And if I could, the second biggest mistake is people who are in business or are investing in something like real estate, do not have a home office and they don't take a home office deduction because they've been told somewhere along the line that that is a red flag to the IRS. And if it's a red flag to the IRS, it's because you did it wrong or your tax accountant did it wrong in the first place. A home office should never be a red flag um, to the IRS. And uh, everybody who is qualifies To take that deduction, you're just giving up. You're just giving away money to the government that they're happy to let you have, or they're happy to take it from you. Your choice.
1: Great, and it sounds like it wasn't um, a red flag, like you said. But I've got to imagine, to any extent that it was, it's it's less now in this in the post pandemic era where the move to working virtually has exploded. Right. So Uh,
0: yeah, I I would think so. But if you do it right, Adam, there's no place to report that you have a home office. So if you, you know, if you have a schedule C, if you're a sole proprietor, you have to report that you have a home office. That's a red flag. But having a being a sole proprietor is a red flag. All right. But if you set, like I said, it's what entity do you use? You know what right. how do you own your business? If you do it right, you don't ever report that you have a home office to the IRS. Here's the here's why it's so important to claim that home office deduction. Your home office deduction. If you, t- if you have a home office, you will double, in most cases, your deduction for your car because you don't have a commute. Your commute's from your kitchen to your living room or to your mm-hmm. home office. And uh, whereas if you don't have a home office, that first trip of the day and the last trip of the day are commutes, well, even if they're to clients or to business, uh, business locations.
1: Got it. Meaning if it's a home office, any trip out of your home is... As Leave long as it's office, for business,
0: it's office. it's going to yeah. be deductible. So you, you just don't have a, a commute, and commuting is what eats up most people's uh, automobile deductions.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's a great point. Um, wow. All right. Uh, you know, most people wouldn't think taxes could be fascinating. Tom, you've definitely proved that wrong in this discussion. I think we've even having fun. So I think your original checklist, you're 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 really delivering on it. Um, I, I got to start beginning to wind this up, but I still have a number of, of questions for us to churn to through. Um, before I get to these la- this last section, just one quick question here, which is, um, h- how much of somebody's tax situation um, is dependent upon the state in which they live? Or Let me even say the state or the country in which they live. Is it is it a big part or a smaller part than most may realize? Uh, well,
0: you know, if you if you're able to live in a country that has no taxes and you're not being taxed as a citizen of another country then you can completely escape taxes just by living somewhere um so that can have an impact right like in the u.s
1: there's a lot of people that have moved to puerto rico you know right
0: well puerto rico of course is the u.s but puerto rico has very specific rules and so there are there are and to entice again it's an incentive to bring rich people in the u.s to puerto rico that's the incentive bring rich people to, to Puerto Rico and help develop Puerto Rico. And it's a, an incentive by the US government. And so yes, Puerto Rico is certainly, you know, you really want to, I mean, if you're willing to live in Puerto Rico for six months in a day every year, then um, it's certainly an option. If you're willing to live in, you know, uh, uh, get the Caribbean, certainly there's an option. Uh, and certainly I, but living in taxes, but when you
1: say an, an option, I mean, is it like a powerful option? Like, is it worth the sacrifice in your experience or?
0: Well, it's not for me. And the reason is, is because you can eliminate your taxes or reduce them significantly and still stay in the U.S. So you don't have to go that direction.
1: And great. Uh, that's sort of where I was going with the question. OK, great. yeah,
0: I mean, it's a it's a kind of a last resort type of a thing, or if you're just not going to build your wealth in the way the government wants you to, then uh, then it's an option as well. Okay. But it is an option, sure. Okay.
1: All right, well, Tom, look, um, I'm gonna wager that you have told the audience here during this discussion a dozen or more things that they did not fully understand or maybe hadn't even heard of before around taxes. Um, and it, it just makes me, I have this question a lot with our advisors around general financial literacy. Um, but why don't, why isn't this stuff taught more widely, right? It's so practical, right? It's, it's completely relevant to just the human existence, you know, living in a country, right? You have to learn how to navigate, you know, with a tax card, everybody has to pay taxes. Um, Why are we not taught this stuff, at least in school? You know, why are we just shoved out in the world, totally ignorant of all this? Is it, is it just because we have a, a broken education system, or is it because, Maybe they just don't want too many people knowing how to play by all these rules.
0: You know, I, I I have no idea, Adam. I, you know, I would love to see financial education schools just like you would. Um, I I have a theory, though, as to why advisors don't educate their clients. Um, I call it my black box theory. And it, it goes some, something like this. I spent 20 years learning my profession. And if I teach you what I know, you won't need me anymore. And uh, I I have taken the opposite approach because I believe that the more educated you are, the better client you're going to be, and the more you're going to need me because you're going to build so much wealth, you're going to need me more and more and more. So right. I, I just have a I just have the opposite view, but then I of course have the opposite view of taxes in general. So um, I I think that there's a lot of um, a scarcity and a lot of fear around taxes and finances in general, and I I. You know, I can't tell you where that comes from because I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, so I never had that. Um, and I I think that it is a shame. I think that there's, I mean, that's why I wrote Tax-Free Wealth was so that people, the average person could have this, not just the rich people.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I grew up in the opposite type of family where there was a lot of fear and scarcity around money. Um, and I will say my experience with accountants and I, and I've had at times what I thought were were good accountants like they they seemed to be good at putting the returns together. but none of them sat down with me and, and had a discussion on the things you and I've talked about. you know, they I, I think they did a good job of sort of filing the returns on time as I guess they should be filed with the IRS. but there was no post or pre-year planning of, hey, if you invest in some of these other things, I can get your taxes way down a lot more. Why is that? Is, is, is that the black box dependency or do they perhaps I, I, not really I, I, know about this stuff?
0: It, it's it's both. It's some of both. But I will tell you, so uh, several years ago, so we have, as you mentioned, we have a network. I actually run a network of uh, CPA firms in the U.S. and Canada. And I I offered to uh, somebody I knew, um, uh, a, a business colleague who was running a CPA firm. I said, would you like to join a network? And his response to me was, why would I want to tell somebody else what I know? Yeah. So, I mean, as a network, we talk to each other. We're, we're always helping each other, right? But that's a scarcity type mindset. And they go, well, there's only yeah. so many clients, et cetera, et cetera. So I can't tell other people what I know. And you, you and I have a very different philosophy, Adam. We're out there. You know doing things like this for free right we're out there telling people here's 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 the financial education here's how it really works um knowing that the more people we serve the more effective we become and 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 the more opportunity that people have
1: yeah well look i'm, I'm super glad that you are uh are driving the model that you are and and i think to a certain extent sort of driving the industry towards change in in whatever way that you can the other thing that really bugs me about that, and I'll, I rant about this pretty often, is it's actually pretty hard these days in America, in my opinion, to find an industry that's not being run like a cartel. <laughs> and you know, accountants are a lot like lawyers, you know, in that way, um, or or you know, other people with specialized knowledge where they basically yeah, well, just say, "Well,
0: we we've definitely had a major consolidation of the accounting industry. I mean, a lot of big firms are gobbling up the little firms." And as a result, you get a lot of um, mediocre accounting firms, in my opinion, and they're really just trying to push work out the door and, uh, you know, have as many clients as we can, serve them as fast as we can and just get the work done rather than having that individual um, you know, I mean, you, you live in the financial planning world and you know that there are financial planners that just say, well, here, we're just going to do this allocation and then forget about it. And then there are the financial planners that work with their clients on a, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. Right. Same thing with accountants, right? You, so you, it, the really question is, is how, how much is your accountant an asset versus an expense or a liability?
1: got it and and I, let's go back to my point at the very beginning of this conversation about the importance of getting a great accountant as a For partner sure. on your team right and and one of the things that i've noticed in the industry consolidation that you've been talking about in the accounting world because i've seen it with several accountants that i was working with is they have had to basically change their business models and say look i'm i'm not really making the money that i need to make or want to make just doing these returns and so i need to get into something that makes me more money and so they're they're now basically becoming more financial planners where they're saying look if you if you put your capital with me you'll get the tax returns for free right and the problem with that model is someone can be a great accountant that does not mean that they're equipped to be a great financial advisor Right. And vice versa, right?
0: And vice versa, right. Yeah. I'm going, I know a lot of financial planners that say, Well, if you come to me, I'll give you you uh, I'll I'll have somebody prepare your tax returns for free. Right. Well, that doesn't mean you're gonna get good tax advice. It exactly. just means you're it, gonna it, get a free I would tax say return. It,
1: I would say it, it's highly probable that they're going to do poorly at the thing that they're not a primary exactly. expert. Exactly.
0: Right? I hundred percent agree.
1: Yeah do so, what you're good at. So, so for the, the viewers here, it really is, you know, identify the key people you need in your team and then find the best talent in each. Don't try to, quote unquote, save yourself money by going with the bundle discount here because you're likely, you know, basically going to be paying for it um, much more than you'd like to be. Um, all right. Well, um, uh, I, I want to I'm going to tell folks about, um, uh, you know, n- now that I've gotten you on the program uh, here, Tom, I'm, I'm going to do the bear hug. Uh, and try to keep you in the wealthy and family as much as possible. Um, uh, we've got an upcoming uh, Q&A, live Q&A, where you've very kindly offered to just join me here for a live session where we're just gonna take audience questions. Uh, this is gonna be in February. I'll talk more about that in just a second. Before I get into those sort of nitty gritty closing details, um, is there you know uh, any other sort of uh, parting advice you have for listeners right now, now that we are in the beginning of tax time here? I know for most folks, it's the end of the year. There's probably limited steps that they can take at this point in time. But but do you have any sort of closing advice for the people? Yeah, many I do, actually. Are...
0: Um, you know, years ago, I had my staff um, do an exercise. And I asked them, I said, I want you to take five minutes and write down everything we do in preparing a tax return that could reduce taxes or prevent an audit. And in five minutes, my staff came up with 65 different ways. Wow, that we could reduce taxes in the tax return. So, you know, people think, well, it doesn't matter if I go to Agent R Block or this firm or that firm. A tax return is a tax return, and the answer is no, it's not. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. I had a, a client last year, brand new client. He said um, his his business partners, the real estate developers, business partners said, well. We we've got one tax return. We're gonna let you try one tax return, see how it comes out. We produced 10 times, this is from my client. We produced 10 times the tax benefits of the other firm. And the other firm was a huge firm. 10 times the tax benefits. And all it was is that we just spent more time and more effort reviewing the tax return, learning, okay, here's what we could do. There are things we could do here, here, and here. And uh, they were like, baffled they're going well they you know these guys rights guys must be doing something wrong or illegal i'm going no we're just paying attention that's all it takes just pay attention understand the law take the time to do it
1: and, and that's what's so interesting so um you know I've, I've seen studies where they send out like a dozen they send out the same returns to a dozen different right, firms sure. And they get a dozen different numbers back, right? So, you know, people have this mindset of taxes as, oh, it's totally cut and dry, right? And basically, I can just go to TurboTax and I can use the online form and it's going to tell me how many taxes I owe. And the reality is, is no, it all depends upon really kind of how um, committed your CPA is to finding, you know, the potential options for you there. Right. And um, it's sort of one of those things, and you've said this multiple times throughout this video already, but like, um, you know, you, you kind of get as much as, as the effort you put into the process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I just want to underscore for folks here that are thinking like, well, no, surely. I mean, can I just use TurboTax? Yeah, I mean, you can, <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I'll let you pile on anything you want to say about the the online automated tax forms, but at a minimum, they're not going to suggest to you things that you could be doing that you're not doing right now. But um, I've got to imagine that they just are kind of programmed to a certain extent for sort of a mass lowest common denominator. And there's a tremendous amount of, of additional thinking they could do on the individual level that they don't because they're not designed for the individual.
0: Yeah, the reality is if all you've got is a W-2 and a couple of 1099s, TurboTax is fine. You know, you you really don't need me. You don't need a CPA. But if you have a business, or real estate or any type of investing that is serious, then you need a CPA. You need somebody who really knows what they're doing.
1: Right. And and I just want to say though, like if if you are just a salaried person at this point in time, uh I would say you definitely want to talk with a CPA to mm-hmm. say, hey, if I create a business,
0: what 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 would I be do doing? to my
1: exactly? Yeah. yeah. And what I think I that's be... probably the biggest gap most people have, Tom, is they just don't know what they don't know, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I would say so. So in fairness, about 50% of the people who call us and ask us about our services don't have a business yet. They want to know, okay, I've, I've I've heard you, you know, on Wealthion, uh, for example, and uh, I'd I'd like to save some taxes. What could I be doing that I'm not doing? And, you know, we're happy to help. You know, we're just as happy to help those people as the people are making seven figures.
1: All right, um, well look, Tom. This has been uh, just super fantastic. um I'll, I'll I'll ask folks here watching. If you'd like to see Tom come on this channel more uh, and share more of his tax wisdom with us, um, let me know in the comments section below. I think there's going to be overwhelming uh, demand for that, but but folks, let me know. Um, and I just do want to remind folks on february twenty seventh at three p m Eastern, Uh, we'll be doing that live Q&A. So it'll still be right in the middle of tax time. Um, And that's just for you guys to ask whatever questions you want for Tom for the hour that we've got him. Um, Tom, uh, this has been wonderful. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people here who um, have really valued the insights you've shared with us here and would love to find a CPA like you and your firm. Um, First off, where can folks go to just learn more about you and your work?
0: Uh, The easiest place is WealthAbility.com. The company is WealthAbility, so WealthAbility.com. Then there's the books, Tax-Free Wealth and Win-Win Wealth Strategy. And I also have a podcast, so the the WealthAbility Show. So um, all of those are good. Uh, Chapter 23, by the way, of Tax-Free Wealth does tell you how to find a good tax advisor. So um, if you want to find them on your own, you can do that. If you want to press the easy button, just call WealthAbility.
1: Okay, great. That was actually my follow-up question. So you just answered it then. And Tom, uh, when we edit this, I will put up the links uh, awesome. to your website there. So folks know okay. where to go. Um, and I'll put a link in the um, description below to, to the two books that you've you've written. But certainly folks, if you want to get Tax-Free Wealth, which is a great book, it's, it's a must-have, I think for any, any financially literate bookshelf. But if you want to get it just for chapter 23 alone, it's definitely worth the price just for that. Um, all right. Well, look, um, As we wrap up here, Tom has done a great job of of really hammering home why having a great player on your team can be just a massive uh, wealth saver for you. Um, Same thing, a wealth builder for you. Same thing on the financial side of the house. And Tom's mentioned that many times in this discussion too. So I just want to deliver the message I give in every one of these interviews, which is that um, you want to make sure that you've got a great financial advisor on your team uh, who is helping you, you know, focus on how to grow your wealth, where that capital should be parked, especially if you find out from your CPA, oh, if you have some oil and gas investments or real estate or farmland or whatever, that's going to help us from a tax standpoint. Great. Then you're faced with a question of, okay, which of those do I put my money in? And then what structure do I put those in? In my retirement account, in my brokerage account, some other way. That's what the financial advisor can really help out with. If you've got a great one, excellent. Stick with them. They are worth their weight in gold, silver, and diamonds. Uh, But if you don't have one or you'd like a second opinion of one that does take everything that Tom and I talked into account, then consider scheduling a free uh, consultation with the financial advisors that Wealthion endorses. These are the guys you see with me on this channel week after week. Doesn't cost you anything. Totally free. No commitment to work with them. It's just a public service they offer to help people be able to make more prudent decisions around their money. To set up one of those free consultations, just go to Wealthion.com, fill out the short form there only takes a couple of seconds. Um, and if you really enjoyed this conversation with Tom, would like to see him back on and other great domain experts like him, please support this channel by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Look forward to having you on much more in the future. Thanks, Adam. Looking forward to it. All right, everybody else. Thanks so much for watching.